from the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. As a creativity researcher, how do you measure the level of creativity someone has? Is there a framework that you use? Sure, yeah. Because creativity is partly how you think, you can measure that. Because creativity is partly your attitudes and dispositions, you can measure that. You can also measure the climate of an organization. And the fourth thing that I didn't mention is the creative result itself. You can also look at, at products and artifacts and so on and judge whether or not those are creative. So to measure creativity, you kind of have to pick one of those four things and say, well, what is it about creativity? Is it the way people think? Is it their attitudes and so on? And each of those four areas has different scales, different measurements, different sort of processes and so on to assess creativity. So it depends, you know, which one you're most interested in. Are there any online tools or tests that someone could take on a self-service basis that yep. you recommend? There is, there's an interesting new one and it also, it raises another interesting question about creativity assessment. There's one called the Divergent Association Test. And if you Google that, people will find that. And basically the test involves just entering a list of 10 words and I won't, I won't preempt it and give anything away. So you go to this website, find the Divergent Association Test. It'll invite you to enter a list of words and it'll explain what you have to do. And uh, it gives you a result that compares you to, and they've now had, a, I think, a few million people do it. So they've got a nice database and they'll tell you sort of where you sit relative to other people. So what that test is assessing is an aspect of divergent thinking. So it's you know just a, the cognitive element of coming up with novel ideas or different ideas. But it's a good starting point to get a bit of a sense of some of the underlying thinking. But it also raises an interesting aspect of creativity research, which is that test is uses some machine learning or artificial intelligence to help with uh, that process of scoring the test. And that question of using artificial intelligence to help assess creativity is a, is a hot topic right now in creativity research. In fact, I do a little bit myself with one of the tests that I use which traditionally takes a long time for a person to score, but we've found that we can train a machine learning algorithm to do the scoring for us and still get very accurate answers. If you were to look at the trends in terms of creativity from the past versus now in the current modern age, would you say it's generally increasing or declining or staying the same? Can, you're asking fantastic questions because, you know, without any sort of prior preparation, you're hitting on all the sort of hot topics. My personal opinion is that, and I think there's a lot of evidence for this, that creativity has been going through a succession of waves of popularity, followed by a kind of quiet period, then another wave of popularity. And, and I, the one advantage I have in thinking about this is going back to my father, because he became a creativity researcher in what is now still you know, regarded as the very early days of modern creativity research. So creativity research kind of kicked off in the early 1950s. He did his graduate studies in the early 60s, still in that initial period. So I can say with, because I've, I've asked somebody who was there that, you know, the initial interest in creativity in the 50s and 60s was very much around human performance, human ability and education. So exactly some of the things we've been talking about. 
of, you know, that there are more ways that people can exhibit their intelligence than just two plus two equals four. And, you know, people like my father in the early 60s, he was doing research on, say, the relationship between creativity and intelligence and, you know, very quickly developed into, you know, how do you teach people to be creative and so on. And so to answer your question, we've seen periods like the 50s and 60s, but then, you know, it seemed to die off maybe a bit in the 70s or 80s. Another wave again, I mean, I'm not saying exactly the peaks and troughs, but there've probably been three or four peaks of interest in creativity, usually largely around the whole question of human skills, education, teaching people to be creative and, and getting the benefit of creativity in, in organizations. Then it's kind of died off and then it's risen up again. My, my personal theory about that is that at every peak, there's been a lot of interest in creativity, but then creativity research hasn't quite delivered the things that end users like school teachers and parents need. And so it's kind of died off again. And then maybe 10 years later, there's a new wave of interest. What, what's particularly important now, though, is like we're in another wave of interest in creativity. As you know, a lot of organizations like the OECD and the World Economic Forum are really highlighting the importance of creativity. And it, so it, it's a hot topic again, but it's particularly important now because also of the rise of, of AI, this whole concept of the future of work and you know, machines taking over a lot of human tasks. And, and I think this time, the, the peak may stay there and we, we may finally get the, the really sort of good engagement with creativity because unlike those previous eras, we've now got almost a, an existential threat in the form of AI and automation. So, you know, in the past, maybe we could afford to think, well, you know, creativity is interesting, but meh, we'll move on to something else. But now we face a future where a lot of people may find it difficult to get jobs in traditional roles because those jobs are being taken over by AI and automation. And that means now there's a very real necessity to say, well, what can I do as a human that a machine can't do? And I think it's very widely agreed that, that amongst other things, creativity is central to that. So, so the big advantage we have as humans is that we can do creativity in a way that AI and machine learning can't, and, and that's, that's the future of work for humans. Oh, I promise, David, I didn't pay you to say that because that <laughs> was really the ethos of this whole podcast when I was initially thinking of what theme to focus on for this podcast I do things like agility, creativity, yeah. and a bunch of other topics. But for me, when I boiled it all down, it was exactly that around human skills for the future. And I really want to yeah. help inspire people and give them hope that there is still a role for us as humans because we yeah, yeah. are bombarded with all of this talk about how technology is going to take our jobs and we're going to automate the world through these bots and robots and everything else. So that really is music to my ears. But even for my kids, I'm thinking... Which direction should I be nudging them into, or at least making them aware that that's an area that may not exist by the time you grow up or, yeah. you know, the opportunities may be bigger here or there. So I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it in that creativity is one of those things that are quite difficult to mimic, can't they? So yeah. write an algorithm to do everything that we can do is going to be really tough. Yeah. I mean, I, I upset some of the AI people sometimes because, you know, I, I have a lot of conversations. There are some people who insist that AI can be creative and so on. And I, I keep countering with examples, you know, and say, well, you, you say that this thing is creative, but in fact, if you drill down a bit, it's not really. It's, it, it does some things that will help us to be more creative. 
And so I, I think the future is is a partnership where we say, you know, human beings are necessary for these parts of creativity. AI can help with aspects of it, but but it's still my my position, again, we're we're on the same page here, is that that it always come back comes back to humans because it's humans who have to decide what to do in the first place and humans who have to decide whether the solution solves the problem. And and without that, you know, it's it's creativity is not just generating random combinations until you find something interesting. It's it's the bigger process of deciding that there's a problem that needs to be solved. So, I mean, again, like you, it, you know, it, it's it's really understanding what we what we bring to the table as humans, what machines and AI can do, and and sort of you know each to his own, and finding a finding a happy way to collaborate for for a net gain. The other question I had was, you've obviously done lots of research, read lots of papers on this. What is some of the other interesting research that you've come across when it comes to creative? Well, I'll tell you about one of my own. I mean, I'm being purely selfish here, but in about 2006 or so, I I came up with this notion of malevolent creativity. Now, the, the concept that, you know, creativity doesn't always have to be good sort of existed already and people talked about negative creativity and positive creativity, but I think I really coined the concept of not just accidentally bad creativity, you know, that, that say a machine breaks and hurts somebody, but deliberately bad creativity. So using creativity for deliberately negative or, or malevolent ends. And and the the driver the driving force for this for me was looking at an event like 9-11 as a creative problem-solving activity. And it's uncomfortable to do that because of course it's it's not a nice thing to to think of as a problem-solving activity. And yet, if you look at it from the point of view of terrorists, you have to admit they think they had a problem that they were trying to solve. And the fact is they came up with a very creative solution. It was highly novel and it was very effective, unfortunately, but you can't deny that that it, it also fits the criteria for creativity. So this really led to a whole sort of chain of, of work looking at that, you know, this broad idea of the dark side of creativity. It's specifically this idea that, that people can use creativity for deliberately negative ends, whether it's, you know, to, to rob a bank or to embezzle money or to carry out a terrorist activity. And, and of course, it's more than just labeling it and saying, well, that's interesting. It then leads to saying, well, for all we know about teaching people to be creative and so on and fostering creativity, can we use that knowledge, say, to, to try and prevent bad creativity from happening as well as helping good creativity to happen? So it, it has some actual practical sort of applications to it's not just a curiosity, but you know, we can apply the, the psychology of creativity to this idea. It's, it's kind of weird because I always say, like, you can send, if you run a company and you want your team to be more creative, you send them on a creative problem-solving workshop. Now, we can't get a bunch of terror to all go on a, on a how-to-not-be-creative workshop. So you also have to find ways of sort of indirectly, negatively, or suppressing their creativity, if you can, as a means for, for say, avoiding highly novel terrorist attacks or highly novel crimes. So it's, it's a really interesting little area. Oh, again, if there's any links that we can post on that, that would be absolutely amazing. Yep, I'll forward a couple too. But I've got one little sort of show and tell object to show you that I use as a bit of a demonstration. So when I was first getting into this area of malevolent creativity, somebody pointed out to me, this is looking at prisons and prisoners. 
And uh, you think uh, you know, people in prison have an interesting sort of problem because they may have problems they want to solve that are, again, they're not very nice. Like, I want to attack somebody to, to be, you know, the kingpin in prison, but it's very hard to get a weapon. And, and by the way, some people might think, oh, you know, why are you telling us this? You know, giving the game away. I'm sure that if I know this, then then everybody in prison already knows it. So we're not giving anything away. But but this object here is a is a, an improvised shank. So it's an improvised stabbing weapon. But it, it's a good illustration of this idea of malevolent creativity because it's made out of a plastic shopping bag. So the the main part here is just an everyday plastic recyclable plastic shopping bag. And all I did was you, you cut a piece off, you you know you twirl it around. I heated it up over a toaster, or you could do it in a kettle. So things that that you might have access to in that situation. And th this kind of recycled plastic goes very hard when you heat it. So you can form it into to quite a hard sort of object out of a, an innocent thing like a plastic bag. And then to make a bit more of a handle and stiffen it a bit, this is not a piece of string. It's actually a piece of cling film then just rolled up and stretched out to make a cord. And then I wound that around there. And the cord itself is is very strong. So, you know, you could also strangle somebody with it if you wanted. So there's there's a, a, a plastic weapon that anybody could make without having access to special tools and so on. And, and it shows an element of this, this idea of malevolent creativity that you can, you can use the same thinking skills, the same divergent thinking, the same attitudes and so on to, to do things like this, which is creative problem solving. It's, it might be something that we don't particularly like, but it still qualifies as, as you know, a creative solution to a problem and, and kind of embodies this idea of malevolent creativity. Wow, that just blow my mind. I'm <laughs> thinking about Marvel and how they maybe should have a super villain who's like the creativity <laughs> genius who creates all of these crazy things to to disrupt yeah. the world. <laughs> I like that. We'll have to we'll have to write the screenplay for that. There we go. Yeah, we could use your research on that one, and yeah, we'll we'll get some get some money out of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, David, on that one. In terms of adults. So we talked a little bit about children earlier, but yep. in terms of adults that want to be more creative at work, are there any quick tips you can give for them? Are there exercises that you recommend or you know, things that we can do to increase that level of creativity and yep. innovation? I mean, it, it's basically the same as, as, you know, whether it's children or adults, it's I'd say the the biggest single thing, if you know, if you said to me, "Give me, tell me one thing that I can start doing differently from tomorrow that will help me to be more creative," it won't it won't make you magically creative overnight. But the more you do these things, the more you remember. I said before, you know, creativity is basically a habit. So the more you practice it, the more you work on it, the the more naturally it comes. In fact, I've, maybe there's two tips. The first is is the same sort of exercise here with the screwdriver of. You know, driving to work every day, think of an object and then think of what what is its function and then think of what are other ways that you could fulfill that function. And, it, and it's often easier to do that when you put a constraint on it. Like I said, you know, imagine that you're driving home, your car breaks down one night and you know that you just need to tighten a screw, but your toolkit isn't in the car. So now you have a, a bit of a rationale for why should I think up you know, this, this alternative idea, which, which can help to make it more sort of meaningful, but, but just practice that sort of thing, practice this divergent thinking of just looking, looking and, and asking yourself questions that have no 
one right answer, you know, open-ended questions that could have many possible answers. And, and you know, like I said, it's easy to do on the way to work, on, you know, on a bus or a train or driving a car. It's the sort of thing you can just do in your head. The other practical tip that's more, so if the, the first one is more about creative thinking, another one in terms of your personality or your attitudes is to practice being open to new ideas. So we know that the personality trait openness, which is one of the so-called big five, is very strongly connected to creativity. So people who are open to new ideas perform much better on other creativity tests. And I think it's clear why, because you know they can imagine possibilities so they, they're better, better sort of disposed to do the kind of thinking that we talked about. Now, the question then is, how do I make myself more open to new experiences? And I think the answer is very simple. And that is, for instance, try new things. And it can be as simple as, again, this is another one you can do on the way to or from work. Try driving a different way to work or, or try a different train or bus route or whatever. The, the good thing about that is, you know, okay, you might be five minutes late to work, but so the risk is low, which means, you know, it's, it's, it's not, a, not a terrifying, risky sort of thing to try. But the more you do things like that, the more you sort of immunize yourself to the feelings of discomfort that, that might accompany that if you're not naturally open to, to experiences. So, you know, if you find you are a person who doesn't like that, you've got you've to sort of fake it till you make it a little bit. You've got to push yourself. But the more you push yourself with, with small steps, the more you get used to the idea of, oh, actually, you know, I drove home a different way and it turns out it was just as quick, so there was no bad outcome Therefore, I'm more encouraged to try it again next time. Another one I say is like, you know, I, I, my wife and I go to, you know, we have our favorite Indian restaurant here and favorite Italian restaurant. And we only go to those. And every time we go, you know, I have butter chicken or, or ravioli. And every time I think, no, 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 I'm going to try something different this time. Take a bit of a risk. So, you know, you have to work on it a little bit, but just this general idea of, of, Try to be open to new experiences. Try new things. Try doing new things. Try eating something new, because it, it might you might not think there's a connection to creativity, but it's it's part of training yourself to be open to ideas. And the more naturally that comes, the easier it is then to do the creative thinking. I'm a bit of a creature of comfort, and I have to say, <laughs> I'm one of those people that if I like something, I'll continue to do yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, especially That's with so. food, I'm a sucker for that with food yeah. because. I probably had my fingers burned in the past where I thought, you know, I'm going to take a risk and I try something else. And what I've gone for hasn't quite hit the mark. And then I ended up hungry and then I go, next time I'm not yeah. going to do that. But I absolutely agree. I think it's about sort of pushing yourself and trying out different things. And for me, on from a personal perspective, I think, especially with work, I've been constantly trying different things, new things. Like each year I'll try something a little yeah. bit different, a little bit new. For example, a good friend of mine, Grant Wright, who co-hosts the Visual Jam, yep. which is a big community that we've set up for visual thinkers and lots yep. of creative people. We did a conference recently and about five minutes before our talk, I said to Grant, I said, I feel like dancing today. And he yeah. sort of looked at me and I was like, not because I want to dance, but I said, it's because I feel quite nervous in terms of the talk. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I think I'm going to do my famous icebreaker where I get everybody up and doing Bangra dancing. And yeah. so we did this. We had 150 people all standing up in Miami, dancing away with us. And yeah. in my mind, I was thinking like, I bet everybody here is thinking like, this guy's doing this just because he enjoys punishing us all. You know, yeah. he's some lunatic. 
But deep down, the reason why I do those icebreakers is actually more for my benefit because yeah. A, I'm trying to push the boundary for myself to say, well, should I try something a little bit different, a little bit crazy? But also I think it was to calm my own nerves because I thought yeah. if everybody else is up there dancing, I feel a bit more relaxed now because I don't feel like the crazy one anymore. We're all yeah, crazy. Yeah. And so we ran that particular activity. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting out of your comfort zone and all of that is, it contributes to this, you know, to getting used to that and, and just getting normalizing, you know, trying different things, thinking of new ideas, taking little risks and so on and, and finding, you know, it, it didn't burn your fingers. So, you know, you can, it's not such a bad thing. I'll, I'll tell you another good way to practice some of these things is with theater sports games as well. And if, because it's not, it's not that, you know, creativity involves acting. It's just that theater sports is an easy way, you know, the, the sort of whose line is it anyway type games. It's a very easy way of getting out of your comfort zone and, and taking little risks, having to think on your feet. And remember, in most of those activities, there's no correct answer. So, so you know, it, the next step of, you know, the, the screwdriver exercise and the trying new things, say somebody, you know, with a team that they want to help develop their creativity, the next good step slightly more formal would be, say, to get, get somebody in who does theatre sports and have a session like that. In terms of improvisation, one of my previous guests, a guy called Art Bell, who was the founder of Comedy Central, one of his big oh, yes, tips yes. was to be more funny. He said one of his big tips was do improv because that's yeah. a great way of experimenting and getting creative. So I really like that. I think now that's two of my guests who have recommended improvisation. Yeah. I'm going to have to bring in an improvisation expert, I think, on a future show just to uh, try some of these activities. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, I mean, you can, like, I mean, somebody who does improv sort of professionally would be good because, you know, they'll, they'll know a range of games. I, I've had a bit of help from two of my kids, uh, uh, sort of, very, well, one of them in particular is, is an actor, but I've had them help out a couple of times. But I, I first of all explained, you know, it's not just any improv activity, it's I want one where, where, you know, it makes people have to take little risks or, or I explain to, to my son, you know, I want to, what I'm trying to focus on is they've got to come up with ideas because that's the same as creativity or, you know, be in a situation that maybe makes them a bit uncomfortable. They have to take a risk. So you know, he, he picked sort of certain games that he felt particularly addressed those things that, that help us to develop our creativity. Fantastic. So we're running out of time, David, but I would love to finish off on any recommendations of books, research, or even individuals that you would recommend if anybody is interested in knowing more about creativity or just getting more insight, could you recommend yep. some resources? Sure. One of my colleagues who's, who's one of the, the sort of big names in the psychological field of creativity research and, and a guy I've collaborated with for a long time. It is James Kaufman. I'll send you his details as well so you can post those. But James is very, very kind of prominent creativity researcher. He's an educational psychologist. And uh, he wrote a book now about 10 or 12 years ago called Creativity 101. But the, the reason I mention that is it's a, it's, it's a very good book in terms of it's easy to read. It's, it's kind of pitched at a general audience. So, you know, unlike, unlike a lot of academics, instead of sort of writing for an academic audience, James really wrote for a, for a very broad audience for parents, people not, not from a kind of academic background. And so very easy to read book that, that really gives a very nice kind of 
reasonably sort of brief overview of all the kind of key concepts, a lot of the things we've discussed today. So if, if people wanted to start somewhere, that would be a very good place to begin by having a look at that book. Thank you for that. And David, on my final question is going forward, are there any areas of interesting research that you want to conduct? Like what's the plans for you? Well, my, my sort of, you know, I'm kind of getting towards the, the latter stages of my career and starting to think a bit about, you know, what do I want to do for the, for the remainder of my career? The, the thing that really excites me at the moment is this stuff, you know, using machine learning and AI to help do the, the creativity assessment because, I mean, not just because it's, it's an interesting sort of area to look at, because you know, my, I have a particular sort of bugbear now about you know, that the, the, one of the contributors to the poor uptake of creativity in the past, you know, these waves, peaks, troughs we mentioned, is also that I, you know, the first thing that a teacher might like to know, if they say, great, I'm interested in creativity, I want to know more, I want to test my class. And if I come along as a creativity researcher and say, right, we can test your whole class, but it's going to take me two weeks to give you the result because each form I have to score takes half an hour. Teachers say, no, no, but you know, I want the result this afternoon because I want to, I want to give formative feedback to the kids and I want to do something differently tomorrow in the class. I don't want to wait two weeks. The, the, the thing about AI used or machine learning used to score creativity tests is it can do it much more quickly than humans. And I think that's, that's almost one of the key things about connecting creativity research to the, the demand for creativity that's now out there. We've got to develop better, quicker ways of assessing creativity to give teachers useful, immediate sort of formative tools. And, and AI, machine learning is the key to that. So that's, that's an area I'm sort of running with myself. And it's, it's, there's a number of other researchers starting to look at that. But for me, that, that automatically assessing creativity using machine learning is, is a, an important topic. It's interesting in itself, but it's also interesting for helping to, to sell creativity to end users. Oh, fascinating stuff. And talk about fascinating. I think this whole conversation has been fascinating for me, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, that creativity is a, a topic close to my heart. So David, I really want to thank you for sharing your insights, your passions, all of the great knowledge that you've shared with us. There's practical tips as well. And uh, just a big thank you from me. Thank you, Patty. I mean, I, I, it's been fantastic. And, you know, you've asked really relevant and, and you know, topical questions. So it's clear that, you know, we, we come from different sort of backgrounds, but are approaching the same topic. And, and I think what it shows is, is that, you know, we're, we're thinking about these things in the same way, which is good news, I think, because you know, there's obviously like a, a clear understanding of, of what the need is and what some of the important things are in relation to creativity. So thank you for, for the excellent questions. 